finest hours i am skylar williams and i am with my lovely friend hayden hansen unfortunately we are not with Braden cromar at this time but we want to go back on this part two of the story of louis zamperini and roll the tape back to let you guys know what happened in part one Last time on Finest Hours, Louis Zamperini, the Torrance Tornado, Olympic hero and valiant airman crashes at sea, stranded with his pilot Phil and tail gunner Matt. Bravely fighting off sharks, the men survive 47 frigid nights and 47 scalding days at sea until they are captured by the most vicious of enemies, the Imperial Army of Japan. What will await Louis and Phil? Will they survive? Will they escape? What terrible fate awaits these men? Find out on this episode of Finest Hours. Wow, what a story to listen to. So, as we prepare to enter into part two, if you haven't had the opportunity, go back and listen to part one. Louis Zamperini's story is quite incredible. An Olympic athlete that is drawn into war. And so let's go ahead and get caught up. Hey guys, I'm back. I should not go to the bathroom in the middle of recording. (laughs) No, not at all. (laughs) Who knows? You have no (laughs) idea what just happened. (laughs) I miss I miss everything. But as Hayden said, do go back and listen to part one if you haven't yet, because otherwise this might not make a lot of sense. But this is an amazing story all the same and so good that we had to break it up into two parts. Let's jump into part two of the Louis Zamperini story. So when Louis and Phil were taken aboard the Japanese ship, they were bound to the mast and struck in the head by the Japanese sailors. The captain reprimanded the men and commanded the crew to head for shore. When Louis and Phil climbed aboard the ship, they were so weak that they couldn't stand and they had to be helped up by the soldiers or crawl on their hands and knees when commanded to walk in a certain direction. Now the men were blindfolded and taken to an infirmary. Louis and Phil stepped on a scale. Phil, who had weighed about 150 pounds the day he set foot on the Green Hornet, now weighed approximately 80 pounds. Louis, who had weighed approximately 160 pounds at the time of the crash, weighed somewhere between 67 and 87 pounds. He didn't remember exactly. Both men had lost about half of their body weight. So that's what, like the weight of like a fourth grade girl? Fifth grade. Fifth grade girl, (laughs) sorry. (laughs) Sorry. I don't know who was in your fourth grade class. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how much children weigh. (laughs) It's not a good year. Next of week is going to be going around sizing up children. Just <laughs> picking them up. Yeah, that's, that's about, about 16 that's about about right. pounds. <laughs> that's about 80 pounds. Are you in fourth grade? <laughs> schools schools, schools are remote right now at the time we're recording this podcast. So, schools, you are not in danger. <laughs> so, after that, Louie and Phil spent a few days with the Japanese crew. They were treated well by their captors. 
They were fed, received medical care, and got plenty of rest. A commanding officer then informed the men that they would be transferred to another island, Kwajalein. Louis had recognized the name. It was known as Execution Island. The Japanese sailors informed Louis that after they dropped him off there, they couldn't guarantee his life. On Execution Island, Louis and Phil were taken to separate wooden cells. They were about the length of a man and half a man's height, and they were swarming with insects. Louis had a moment of weakness in his prison cell as he looked down at his legs, which had once carried him through a four-minute and eight-second mile. They were shriveled to the bone and crawling with insects. He began sobbing uncontrollably and had to muffle his sound to avoid getting a beating from the guards. Louis spent weeks in his small prison cell, eating only a single ball of rice per day, and he would be granted a couple of sips of water. Louis was getting sicker and sicker and experiencing chills and bloody diarrhea. He begged the guards for a blanket, and he was laughed at. When he begged for water, a guard returned with a cup filled with water. He approached Louis and threw scalding hot water on his face. Louis was so thirsty that he kept begging for water, and four or more times was doused with hot water, leaving his face covered in blisters. When the guards... Oh, sorry. I was going to say, remember last time we said that this was only the beginning of how bad it was going to get. Well, still, this is only the beginning of how bad it's going to get. <laughs> Literally, like, this is the first bullet point yeah. <laughs> on this four-page document. Like, that sucks, but it's going to get way, way worse. When the guards were bored, they would entertain themselves by humiliating Phil and Louis. Every day, they would force Louis to dance at gunpoint, uh, whistle, and sing. They'd swat at him with um, sharp sticks, and they laughed at him when they threw balls of rice on the floor and watched them crawl to desperately eat them. The Japanese, much like the Germans, believed that they were a superior race. They treated POW so harshly because they were taught that it was cowardly and shameful to surrender. That death was more honorable than surrender. They tortured captives for their own amusement. And worst of all, they stripped men of their dignity. And that was the hardest part for Louis, who found that he actually missed the raft because on the raft, he was still able to maintain his dignity. With Louis' dignity stripped of him, his will to live was beginning to fade. The Japanese, above many other cultures, had treasured pride and dignity and sought to take away from their captives that which was most painful to lose. Louis and Phil quickly learned that dignity was as essential to life as food, water, and shelter. So while on Execution Island, Louis was interrogated. He was able to gain the interrogator's trust by answering a series of questions truthfully that they had already known the answers to. Louis thought carefully about what information he could divulge and what he couldn't. Since he had answered truthfully, he was in a better position to lie later on as they continued to interrogate him. Weeks went by and Louis and Phil continued to receive the same abuse every single day. One day, they were taken into the interrogation building and injected with a green fluid. They began to feel faint. That night, Louis's body broke out into hives. His skin turned yellow. The Japanese continued to inject them with the fluid. Men survived, luckily, but the Japanese had been experimenting with biological weapons, and thousands of other captives ended up dying during these experimentations. Now, 42 days after being taken to Execution Island, Louis and Phil were transferred to a prisoner of war camp in mainland Japan. They were taken to the Omori prison camp, where Louis met the man that would dedicate himself to shattering him. A corporal in charge of the prisoners at the camp, his name was Mutsuhiro Watanabe, and the men referred to him as the Bird. 
a code name they could use without drawing attention to the fact that they were talking about him. He was highly unstable. The bird would appear content one moment, then would suddenly start screaming and attacking the men. Shortly after the attacks, he appeared almost regretful and would offer them candy or cigarettes, and then he would beat the men again. The corporal never saw combat and was denied the opportunity to serve in the military, so the Japanese military put him to use running the prisoner of war camps. The men believed that his deprivation of combat made him an angry man, and he took it out on the POWs. So the bird beat POWs violently every day, always finding different ways to torture the captive men, not always physically, but psychologically as well. He confiscated letters from home that were sent to the men and called them into his office where he showed them the addressed envelopes, then burned them in front of the POWs. His unpredictability kept men anxious and on edge. The bird was particularly obsessed with Louis, the famous Olympian, who the bird referred to as number one prisoner. In an effort to maintain their dignity, the camp was teeming with underground activity. The men would frequently find opportunities to steal from the guards, building caches of food. Louis's expertise in thievery were extremely valuable in the camp. The Japanese guards were eating and withholding rations from the Red Cross, and the only way to survive was to steal from the guards, though this would bring rampant beatings if the men were ever caught. When a man was caught stealing fish from the guards, the bird ordered that Louis and the other officers line up and the enlisted men were commanded to punch each officer in the face. When the men refused, the bird began savagely beating the officers. The enlisted men complied. Each officer was punched 220 times. So that would be super psychologically damaging to yourself if you had to be another prisoner. Yeah, you're commanding officer, and that could easily have killed one of those officers. That's a lot of brain damage. And so despite all this, there were some moments of hope that existed within the camps. Um, There were little victories all the time. And so these prisoners fought to undermine the Japanese influence within the camp as much as possible. Um, They found other ways to communicate, sometimes using Morse code. uh... One day... Yeah, I just want to interrupt. I also liked how they would go up to the guards and pretend that they were asking them questions, but they were really talking to each other. I thought that was a great way to like, haha, you don't know English. <laughs> Some of the gutsier men would walk up to the guards that didn't speak English and they would talk to them in a querying tone as if they were asking them a question. And they would instruct men nearby on stealing techniques right in front of the guards. So Even though the men found themselves in this position, it was extremely important to them psychologically to maintain their spirit of rebellion, their spirit of defiance, especially for Louis. Louis, being an Olympic athlete, attracted a lot of attention. So one day the Japanese guards brought in a runner to compete in a foot race against Louis. And Louis, of course, is weakened at this point and is trounced in the race and collapses before finishing and is beaten he's encouraged by the men and he's he trains in secret running around the camp out of sight of the guards and the guards bring in another runner louis took off at a slow pace he didn't really want to beat him but found the strength within himself to beat the japanese runner and of course he knew he was going to get beaten for this and he did Um, but that act of defiance was so important to louis 
And on another occasion, they bring in a third runner who asks Louie if, hey, can you, let me, can you let me win this race? I'll give you a couple of rice balls. He brought his girlfriend with him and wanted his girlfriend to be impressed. So Louie agreed, and he was given a couple of rice balls and said about the experience that the payment made him a professional. It's those moments and those little victories that are extremely important as the prisoners go about their daily activities. If they didn't have these little victories here and there, life would have been completely impossible. Now, Louis one day was sent to fetch horse meat from a slaughterhouse and bring it back to camp in a wheelbarrow. He saw graffiti on a building in the city that said B-29, and at the time, he didn't know what that meant. But the prisoners soon saw a B-29 bomber pass over the prisoner of war camp, and this gave new hope and a show of strength from America. It brought additional outrage from the bird. He continued to beat many of the prisoners without mercy following flyovers from the B-29. Brayden, why don't you tell us a little bit about the B-29? Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. My opportunity to shine. So when Louis first sees, first sees this, this tag, B, this B-29, he didn't know what it was. The B-29 wasn't invented by the time Louis was captured. And the Japanese symbol for nine also means pain and calamity which is kind of a poetic justice in and of itself that I love. A new captive in the camp told men about the B-29. It was a massive plane that the United States had recently developed and was outfitting into the Pacific theater. It had massive fuel tanks, so it could fly very long distances and reach mainland Japan, whereas the other planes weren't able to do that. And it could fly so high that it was almost undetectable by... Japanese aircraft. They couldn't fly high enough to attack the B-29s. Was the and B-29... guns everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> guns and bombs. Like, guns and bombs. Like the B-29 the B-29 Super Fortress is awesome. Yeah. So cool. It the Super Fortress. So, and I don't remember if this was the plane, but I'm pretty sure it was. They had run some calculations on if they could make it to mainland Japan and bomb Tokyo. And they figured that it was going to be super close and they weren't sure if they were going to be able to really make it back, depending on a couple of different factors. But they went for it. And so they got the planes up there and ended up discovering the jet stream. And they flew in with a massive tailwind up high enough in the jet stream that like they had tons of fuel to spare when they got back. And so that led to an additional discovery of atmospheric winds. Defiance. War brings about a lot of cool inventions. So, and, and this was crucial to the allied campaign in the Pacific theater because they didn't have anything that was, they didn't have any planes that could reach mainland Japan and they had to reach mainland Japan in order to, to win the war. In the Doolittle raids, pilot James Doolittle and his crew were flying planes over Japan and had bombed Tokyo for the first time ever. It was the first time that Japan had been packed by air by a foreign power and they didn't have enough fuel to get home. So they had to ditch the planes over the sea and parachute into China. And the Japanese were furious at this attack 
and went after the American troops in China and ended up murdering like 250,000 Chinese civilians in search for Doolittle and his men. This was the enemy that we are, that we are dealing with here. So back to the story, eventually the bird is promoted and he ends up leaving the camp. The men cheer for his departure. Louis is then invited into Tokyo onto a radio show. He is allowed to send a message to his family. Luckily, the message is picked up by one of his classmates from USC. She translates the message and then she ends up giving it to Louis' family they are so ecstatic that he's alive. They had a small hope that he was still alive after the military telling them that he was dead. His mom always felt like her son was alive and somewhere out there. Louis is invited back again, but this time he's given some propaganda to read. They tell him he's got to read it word for word, but he refuses. They end up trying to entice him into reading the propaganda by offering him a substantial meal and showing him a place where they will move him to with a mattress and a blanket and all that could be his. But again, Louis refuses. They send him back to the camp where the bird beats him brutally. I find that interesting how important it was for him and for the men to keep their dignity. Louis said that he had seen other men in the area that had given into the Japanese influence to read propaganda that they were treated well and their bodies were doing better but he said that they appeared soulless which i mean we can't we can't understate it like it took a lot of guts and obviously louis was very very patriotic to refuse to participate in the japanese propaganda game because the men that agreed to do this i mean they were they were very well fed. They were given fresh clothes. They had very comfortable sleeping accommodations. And they were pretty much free men in Japan. And Louis was getting savagely beaten every day in the camp and starving and constantly sick. Gutsy guy to, uh, to not participate in that. Dude had honor and character. That's what I'm talking about. So Louis discovers that the primary reason that he had been kept alive was that the Japanese had really hoped that he would participate in the propaganda. The Japanese were looking to undermine the soldiers' faith in the American government. It gets to a point where the Japanese would come into the camp and they would be like, oh, we just killed a bunch of Americans. We just won this little battle, blah, blah, blah. And then they... started to lose and lose and lose. And the American prisoners could tell that there was kind of a shift in the war. And so the Japanese would then come in and they'd start like saying all sorts of just nonsense of how they beat the Americans. And I, Louis shared that one time they came to the camp and they're like, we just assassinated Abraham Lincoln and blew up Washington, D.C. <laughs> <laughs> and then he said, like, all, all of the men just busted up laughing. And they were so pissed because they had no idea, like, what they had actually said. And, like, the men just were just lifted. Their spirits were lifted when they were like, all right, they're just making stuff, stuff up now. And the the war has changed we are we're going to win this war another thing that kind of confirmed that was one of the prisoners was able to steal a war map and they were able to see 
how much or how many islands the Americans had been able to conquer and to recapture in kind of a slow march on Japan. And so the soldiers are happy to see that the American forces are advancing. Uh, The planes above them become more common. And as the American forces advance, a kill-all order was sometimes executed, where rather than surrendering and giving up the prisoners, the Japanese would slaughter them all and run. Eventually, Louis and several others are moved away from Tokyo. They are boarded into trucks and take a train, and they're taken to the snowy western parts of Japan. Their new home is the prisoner of war camp of Naoetsu. Upon entering the camp, Louis is confronted by the bird. Garbage. That'd be the worst feeling in the world. So the camp is not very well equipped for winter weather, and the winter is horrid. A freezing river runs below the living quarters, and the remains of cremated soldiers spill out of boxes along a wall. The place is infested with vermin, and there are holes in the roof. Louis learns that the bird brought him to the camp, along with some of the other men from Amori, to continue to torture them. Louis is able to avoid the bird for the most part, due to the fact that he would spend about 18 hours per day working outside of the camp in hard labor. How, how sick is that? Like Which part? The fact that the bird, the bird brought them <laughs> to the camp so he could continue to torture them. He had like that's wild. Yeah, he had some of his favorite uh, prisoners brought to the camp. It's horrid. Eventually, a B twenty nine is spotted from Neotsu. For many of the Australians in the camp, this was the first they had seen the plane. Upon seeing this, the bird sentences the prisoners to hard labor moving coal. Uh, Louis is walking up a ramp one day and is knocked off of it by a Japanese soldier. He injures his leg and is unable to continue working. He is stuck at camp with the bird, and the bird is able to focus all of his attention on him. Louis begs for work. His wish is granted, and he is given the task of cleaning out the pigsty by hand. And Louis said that this had completely undone him. He'd always been a tidy person, and this was this was worse to him than any of the beatings that he had received from the bird. So the B-29s continue to fly overhead every night. The sirens continue to go off, and nobody slept because of all of the noise. Uh, with all the planes flying overhead, as we mentioned before, when this happens, the bird gets absolutely mad after the air raids he then brings all the americans out where he then beats them up he does a the ofuna crouch which i don't know too much detail on that but after they do that he then beats the crap out of them as well so the men were forced to into a position called the ofuna crouch which is basically where they would stand with their knees bent and their hands above their head for extended periods of time and it got extremely painful for the men And when they would no longer hold it, they would be beaten by the bird and the other camp guards. Which is just brutal because they know that eventually they're going to fail. And so they're sitting there waiting for them. They've got all of these men in this crouching position. They know eventually they're going to collapse. As soon as they collapse, then they beat them. And Louis ends up getting out of work again. And he goes back to half rations. He goes back to the bird and continues to beg him for work so that he could get his full rations back. The bird came to Louis and gave him a paper-thin goat, basically on its deathbed, and said, If goat die, 
you die. Louis did all that he could to keep the goat alive. One night, the goat got loose, went into a grain bin, and became deathly ill. Louis knew that the goat didn't just get loose, but somebody had untied him. He knew that the goat was tied up properly and that Louis had tied the knot correctly. The goat gorged on the grain and ended up getting sick and ended up dying. So Louis, trying to avoid retribution, tries to visit the doctor because his dysentery starts to get worse. And so he's almost at the doctor when the bird ends up tracking him down. And he's like, who gave you the, the right to visit the, to visit the doctor? And Louis's like, ah, ah. And then the bird grabs him and takes him into the middle of the camp where he points down to a beam. And he's like, throw this over your head. And so Louis takes the beam, puts it over his head. And then he goes to the, the bird goes to the guard and says, if his arms begin to drop, you better jab him with that rifle. He then walks away and gets on top of a building and sits down where he just mocks the crap out of Louis. Louis just continues to stare at the bird and he thinks, you know what, I'm not going to let this guy beat me. And so he holds it up and holds it up and he's just in so much pain. Eventually the bird jumps down from the building, walks over to Louis, punches him in the gut. The beam falls down, hits Louis in the head and he loses consciousness as he wakes back up one of the uh, prisoners is like dude you held that beam up for 37 minutes and that was one of the bigger victories that louis had over the bird so by this point germany had fallen and the full weight of the allies was now thrown against japan the americans were relentlessly bombing mainland japan but they showed no sign of surrender the date of the kill all order was fast approaching One day, the bird commanded Louis to take a bucket out to the river and fill it with water. When he returned to the bird, he said, tomorrow I am going to drown you. Louis spent the next day in fear, trying to avoid the bird. When the bird caught up to him again on the next day, he said, I have changed my mind. I will drown you tomorrow. So the bird continues to play psychological games with Louis and the other prisoners. Which, I mean, you can imagine the effects that this would have on the prisoners living in the camp. Absolutely horrendous. Now, when the United States dropped the atomic bombs over Hiroshima and Nagasaki and Japan surrendered, the bird disappeared from the prison camp. The men were soon marched out to the nearby river where many of them were sobbing along the way. They were fully aware of the kill all order and felt they were being walked to their deaths. When the guards invited the men to bathe in the river, they heard the sound of an approaching plane. They looked up to see a massive B-29 flying just overhead, so low they could make out the stars under the plane's wings. The men shouted and celebrated together as it became clear to them that the war was over. The men remained in in the prison camp for several more weeks. They were provided with rations from American airdrops and gorged themselves on food, cigarettes, and alcohol. They then boarded a train where they were taken through Japan, They saw the destruction of the Allied air raids, and at first they thought it was beautiful, but the longer that they were on the train, their joy faded. There was nothing left of Japan. It had become an empty, smoldering landscape devoid of trees, buildings, and people. Louis was taken to the airport and prepared to board the airplane home. His heart sank in his stomach as he saw that the plane he was about to board was a B-24. It was the same plane as Green Hornet. But... (laughs) 
despite despite some terror, Louis made it safely back to the United States where he landed in Los Angeles, his family awaiting him at the airport. Separately, Phil had also returned home safely from another POW camp. Unfortunately, Louis sustained an ankle injury during his time as a POW, and that would kind of end his running career. He was unable to really compete at a high level with the injury that he sustained. The Japanese police were being commanded by their former enemies. They were tracking down war criminals. The bird, having escaped the camp, was found to have visited his mother, but they were three days late. The bird continued to elude those that were trying to track him down after the war. And while they were unable to find him, the prosecution did write up an 84-count indictment. And this was shortened from the testimonies of 250 prisoners of war that participated in the indictment with their testimonies. And once the prosecution shortened it and made it as brief as they could, even going so far as to using single spacing, the paper still stretched out over eight feet long. There was a top-wanted list of Japanese war criminals following the Second World War. And in the top 10 was Mutsuhiro Watanabe, the bird. Uh, Also in that list of top 10 was Hideki Tojo, the man who commanded the attack on Pearl Harbor. So by this point, they had accumulated so much information on war crimes caused by Mutsuhiro Watanabe that they had enough to execute him like six times over. But he was exceptional at hiding, and he was not apprehended by the police. He ends up escaping the police, goes to his mother, visits his mother, and then continues on his way. He ends up going to a town popular for hot springs, and as he's passing through, he's hidden in the crowds. It is said that approximately 9,000 different police officers had to report on the search for this man that the chiefs, the police chiefs, among all of these different precincts, had to report twice a month on their search for him. And one day, a police officer actually knocks on a door where the bird is staying, and they have his description, they're going through the town, they're asking everybody. They knock on his door, and he's unrecognizable. He's grown facial hair, and he's able to lie his way out of it, and continues to hide. Eventually, he ends up on a farm working as a farmhand, and he wrote of his experience. He never wrote of any remorse, and he never answered the question of if he was guilty, but he found that it was unfair that he was to be judged solely by the Allies, and he felt that and wrote that only God could judge him. As the post-year wars go on, the, the United States occupies Japan, The communist threat is growing, and in an effort to build relationships with Japan, the United States grants amnesty to a lot of the officers who are convicted of war crimes against POWs during the Second World War. The warrant for Mutsuhiro Watanabe's arrest is no longer. So after the war, Louis is pretty wrecked. Everything that he went through, he ends up with PTSD. He has a lot of nightmares. He ends up marrying a woman named Cynthia. And one night when they're sleeping, he has one of these nightmares and Cynthia wakes up and Louis is on top of her thinking that she is the bird and he has his hands wrapped around her neck about to choke her. Eventually, Cynthia runs away because she doesn't want to be around that anymore. 
um, and it just continues to get worse and worse. So because of this, Louis reluctantly starts to attend church when he starts to practice Christianity and he goes through the forgiveness process to, to help him with his PTSD. And he ends up going back to Japan to meet his old captors. Now, as he meets his old captors, they're all kind of awaiting him in a room. And this is actually how the book Unbroken ends right before its epilogue. And it kind of ties his life after war together. And he goes and meets with these people. And it says that he sees them and is able to smile. He had also written a letter to the bird. He was the only one that didn't respond and did not come. The letter was supposed to be delivered to him. It's unknown if he ever received it because he did not respond. Louis lived out the rest of his life still pretty active. Um, He started skateboarding in his 70s. In his 60s, he was still running and was able to run a sub sub six-minute mile and um, carried the torch, the Olympic torch, in... It was the 1998 Olympics, and he 19- actually started in, what is it, Naoetsu? Yeah, he started He started in, in Naoetsu, Japan, where he was previously held captive and carried the Olympic torch in his 80s. In 2014, Louis passed away of natural causes. He was 96 years old and managed to outlive his entire family. Louis left us with one of the most amazing survival stories ever told. Whatever you're going through, it's not that bad. (laughs) We try to close every episode with learnings from the episode, and there's so many that we can take from the Zamperini story, but I think what it all boils down to is what Pete told Louie when he was a kid. If you can take it, you can make it. Skyler, close us out. All right, guys. So we hope you enjoyed this two-part episode. Please follow us on Apple Podcast and Spotify. Follow us on our Instagram at Finest Hours Podcast. Don't have Instagram? Email us at finesthourspod at gmail.com. Like I said, we want to hear from you guys. And we're the best podcast you've probably ever listened to. I mean, that's not true, but we do share some, we do share some really cool stories that you're going to have a hard time finding elsewhere, except for this, because it was a major motion picture. But. <laughs> We are the fastest growing podcast named The Finest Hours. That is true. That is 100% (laughs) true. Well, thanks for listening to this episode. We love you guys and hang in there. Hang in there.